Matthew chapter 9 in your Bible this morning. Matthew chapter 9 in God's Word. Please turn there with me. Matthew chapter number 9, please. And uh, stand with me as we read together from God's Word. We're going to begin reading in verse 35. Won't we all read this morning, okay? You're getting awake and getting... uh, into it, so let's all read aloud, beginning Matthew nine thirty-five. everyone through the end of the chapter. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word and the preaching of it. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. And you may be seated. I want to call your attention to one word in verse number 36 that will be our subject this morning. And the word is compassion. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. It's an interesting word, compassion. It's composed of two parts. It comes from the Latin. The first part of it is come, C-O-M, and just like our word C-O-M-E, where we say come here, it means to get together. It means it has the idea of with or together. And then the second part of it comes, is the word, English word, passion, comes from the Latin word meaning to suffer or to suffer with. And so you put the two parts together and you have a beautiful concept to suffer with or together another person. It includes the idea of sympathy, compassion, It involves the idea of pity upon another person or another being. Included in it is the idea of mercy, showing mercy to someone. And in addition, a desire to do something about it, not just to see that person and see the need and to have sympathy or pity, but also to seek to do something about it. I want you to notice with me, number one this morning, as we look at God's Word, that our God is a God of compassion. God, the God that we worship in the Christian religion, the God of the Bible, Jehovah God, is a God of compassion. Some people have problems with that. They read the passages in the Old Testament where there is killing and brutality, where the Lord, for example, told the children of Israel to go and, and uh, kill all the population of a city or something like that. I remember a conversation I had 
oh, many years ago. And it was with a lady, and she was a professing Christian. I was witnessing to her, talking to her about her spiritual life. And then out of the blue, this professing Christian Baptist said to me these words, and I'll never forget them. She said, I'm a Christian, but I have a problem with the God of the Old Testament. I said, what do you mean? How could you say you're a Christian and you're, you say I have a problem with God? And I didn't really say to her how strongly I felt about that, but I thought, surely that is an unthought, accidental statement that she's making. How could a human being put themselves in such a place of pride as to bring judgment upon God? You have a problem with God? Whoa, you know, I wanted to step back from that. And her point was is that God had ordered Joshua and the children of Israel to go in and to basically take the lives, kill the population of a certain city. And I explained to her that, first of all, there is no such thing really as the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's just one God. There's the God of all of eternity, the creator God, the only God that is. So we don't have one God in the Old Testament and another God in the New Testament. And then I told her, look, that may seem on the surface cruel to you and barbaric and bloody and violent and all those other adjectives. that you could add. But in every case, if you'll go back and look at the context, the purpose of God was to punish evil and to keep it from spreading. To punish evil and to stop the spread of it to go further with the evil and hurt even more people because of it. I used this thought with her. What if you saw on television a SWAT team of police officers. And there they are with their body armor and they have their rifles aimed and in the sights of their rifle is two little teenage boys. What would you think? And she said, well, I, I would think that's pretty bad, I guess. I said, let me fill in a little more context. What if their name was um, Dylan... Uh, Debalt, Dibalt, or whatever the name is, I forgot it. The two young men at Columbine, and they'd already killed 15 of their classmates, and they were threatening to blow up the school and kill everybody in the building, hundreds and hundreds of people. And so the SWAT team comes, and they take them out. Was that, that an act of cruelty and barbarism? Or was that an act of mercy and compassion for hundreds and perhaps thousands of other people that could have been, had their lives ruined in that, in that situation? So before we judge God, let's understand that God is a God of compassion. In fact, the Bible says that over and over. And if compassion is not balanced with righteousness and justice, then we have permissiveness. The character of God is the most beautiful character in the universe. God is perfect. God is holy, but at the same time, he is loving. God is just, but at the same time, he's merciful. God is righteous, but his righteousness is always balanced with his compassion. 
and you put the whole picture together and there's no being in all the universe like God, the perfect, absolutely, wholly perfect being creator of this world. And I want to show you verses in the Old Testament that apparently a lot of people don't read. Now get your Bible and open it with me to just two or three places here, but I want you to see them. You tend to remember better when you see them. And in the book of Psalms, number 86, Psalm number 86, let's read a verse, and then we're going to go to another Psalm, and then we're going to go to the book of Lamentations. We're going to flip through two or three Old Testament passages. I want you to get firmly in your mind the God of the Old Testament, if you want to say it like that, is a God of great and, in fact, infinite compassion. And so today in Psalm number 86. Psalm 86 and verse number 15. Here's a wonderful verse. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, full of compassion, and gracious or grace, long-suffering or patient, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Now, that is a wonderful character there, is it not? Full of compassion, full of grace, patient, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and in truth. Just go over to the right with me to the book of Psalms, number 145, and notice another passage that says similar things that teach us the character, the characteristics of Almighty God. Psalm 145 and verse 8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Do you notice that both of these Psalms indicate that God not only has compassion as a part of his personality, but that he's full of compassion. Notice the emphasis. Every word here is here for a reason. He is full of compassion. He is slow to anger. He is of great mercy. He is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. Then slide on over to the book of Lamentations. That's just a little small book in the prophets. And you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Okay, at the end of the book of Jeremiah, four or five little chapters written here by Jeremiah the prophet. And the scene is this. He looks over the city of Jerusalem. It has been sacked and burned and destroyed for, uh, by the Babylonians at the beginning of the captivity. And now the prophet of God sits. Hundreds of thousands of the people have been carried off to Babylon as captives. And so it's a dismal, dismal time in the life of the nation of Israel. And he laments. That's where the name of the book comes from. He laments. He's filled with sorrow and sadness. He's depressed even as he writes this. He looks at the losses of his dear country. And in Lamentations chapter 3, though, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these words. In Lamentations 3 and 23, or 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. As bad as it is, he said, it is God's mercy that kept us from being completely consumed. And his compassions fail not. They are new 
every morning. And notice what he says, and here's that great song title, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Even in the midst of the desolation and the loss and the sadness that he's facing, the city completely gone now, the temple destroyed. He looks and he sees and he laments and he says, it's God's mercy that we weren't all consumed. There is some blessing in this. God is full of compassion and he is great in his faithfulness. Are you a compassionate person? I hope you are. Because it is an important, even a vital part of a Christian's character. Are you compassionate? Right now, we have a pretty good test of, our, of compassion down here on our southern border with uh, Texas and uh, Mexico, as you've been watching in the news. Tens of thousands of illegal immigrants pouring across our border. Most of them, we understand, from El Salvador, Nicaragua, and Guatemala, south of Mexico, meaning they've come all the way across Mexico, 1,500, 1,800 miles to get to the Texas border. And they're coming in by the tens of thousands. And you look at it and you wonder, we've never seen anything like that? And many of them are children. And I look at those pictures on television And I'll tell you what, it breaks my heart. I told my wife the other day, I I don't know why our government won't enforce the law of the land and shut that off down there. But if I were standing there looking at a little boy, Felix or Hector or whatever his name is from the Latin world, and he was a little boy, that brown-eyed little fella, about that high, three or four years old, And I wouldn't want to be down there. I'd probably adopt him and bring him home with me because when you look into the face of a real human being who is a victim, who has been carried by one of these coyotes or he's been hired by somebody to bring him up there and dump him, you wonder what in the world, what kind of a world are we living in right now? And these children break our hearts. Now, on the other hand, intermingled with those children are members, we understand, of the drug cartels. I just went to Mexico six weeks ago. The drug cartels run Mexico. Everybody in Mexico lives in fear. 50,000 people were killed in one year by the drug cartels. In one year in Mexico. It's unbelievable. And intermingle with with this little boy that I have such compassion with are the drug cartels and the members of this M13 gang, one of the most violent in all the world, and now even Middle East terrorists. I read this week in one news account that they found a Quran, a prayer rug, and all kinds of Middle Eastern clothing out there in the desert near the border. Now, that wasn't brought in by a little boy from Guatemala. So tens of thousands of people coming across the border. And we watch the news, and I don't know how you feel, but I feel like the fellow that watched his mother-in-law go over the cliff in his brand-new Cadillac. I have mixed emotions. (laughs) 
<laughs> I couldn't resist. Now my mother-in-law's in heaven, so I don't have to worry about that. Now, if she were living, I wouldn't have said that because that would have gotten back to Texas and I would have been in heat big trouble. But at any rate, we look at those pictures and we have mixed emotions about it, don't we? We have compassion toward those victims and those little children. And yet, we know with a sense of justice that we should have that you can't have a nation if we're not going to protect our borders. The very survival of our way of life and our country is at stake if we're not going to respect the laws of our land. Lawbreakers ought to be sent back. The border ought to be closed. But at the same time, we cannot harden our hearts. I want to show you a verse of Scripture because this this, this whole issue is boiling over in the country, and I want to have a biblical perspective, and I want you to have one. So don't get your view of the news from CNN or somebody at Fox News or somebody like that. Get your interpretation of the events of our day from the Scripture. And turn with me real quickly, the book of Exodus, chapter 23. Do you know the Bible has a lot to say, a lot to say, in fact, about the illegal, immigrant, alien problem that we have today in America because they faced it in those ancient times. In the book of Exodus, chapter 23, you'll see just one verse that I'll read. But you can also look in the book of Leviticus, I think it's chapter 33 or so, and you'll see more on it if you want to study it. There's quite a number of verses. But in Exodus 23 and verse 9, also, thou shalt not oppress a stranger. Now, stranger there doesn't mean somebody you don't know. Stranger in the context here means an alien to your country, a, a, a person who is not a citizen, someone from another country who's living among you. You're not to oppress that person, for you know the heart of a stranger. You know how they feel. Go back and remember seeing you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So over and over, as you read through the Old Testament, it urges compassionate, kind care and treatment of the strangers, the aliens who live among you, the immigrants and the illegal immigrants, if you will. And every one of us, at some point, our families came from somewhere to America, though it's been a long time ago. Now, I don't want to get into a, I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm trying to say to you, we have a current problem in the country. And the Bible speaks about it, and part of that is an issue of justice, and the other part of that issue is the issue of compassion. And we must always treat individuals and people with compassion, and that is what our God does. So much of our compassion today in this society is misdirected. Out in California, if you remember a couple of years ago, they shut down the water supply that uh, watered the fields in a certain area, right out there in the richest crop-growing area, farm, uh, you know, uh, farm production area in the, in, in the valley. Hundreds and thousands of people were laid off work. Fields were unplanted because they had some screens in the irrigation ditches that uh, some little obscure fish or something was getting in that and dying. And so we were willing to leave hundreds and thousands in that case of acres unplanted. People lost, 40,000 people, if I remember correctly, 
lost their jobs because of a, a, a misguided, in my opinion, view of compassion. And people hurt, and the price of your vegetables went up. Now, every day that that was happening in this country, we were killing 3,000 babies in the mother's womb. Is there not something wrong with the picture when we have that kind of compassion for a tiny little fish, but we don't have any for our own unborn? There's something wrong with that picture, isn't there? Make sure that your compassion is directed in the right way. And that leads me to my second point because we're going to talk about Jesus' compassion. The God of the Bible is a God of compassion. Never buy into this idea that God is cruel. Anytime God acts with what seems to be cruelty, he is acting either to punish evil or to prevent the spread of evil in a society. Now, Jesus' compassion, we read about it in Matthew 9, and so you may want to turn back there with me in your Bible. Matthew chapter 9, and we see in those verses an account of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Verse 35, he went about all the cities and villages. He was an itinerant preacher going from town to town. Those were all small towns. The only city of significance in the whole country then when Jesus lived was Jerusalem. Tel Aviv didn't even exist. That's a modern city. So it was little towns, little cities of just a few hundred and a few thousand people. Jesus went through each of those little cities and towns teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And one day he's teaching and he looks out a great, across a great throng of people, maybe a, a, a crowd like we have here today. And he looked across this great crowd of people and his heart was moved. He was emotion, emotionally stirred here. That's what it means, moved emotionally stirred with compassion on them. And why? Because they fainted. They were scattered abroad. Not fainted literally, but they fainted. They were fainting spiritually. And they were like sheep, lost, straying, not having direction, not having meaning, not having purpose in their existence. And Jesus was moved with compassion he empathized with them, we would say today. In the book of Mark, where we are also going, uh, doing a study, going through it, in chapter 1, it says that a leper came to the Lord Jesus Christ. To be a leper in those days was not only to have a terminal disease, but it was also to be a social outcast. Nobody could be around you because it was, in their view, contagious, and, and if you were around them, you would get it, and your whole family would be lost. This leper, a social outcast that nobody would have anything else, anything to do with, this leper approaches the Lord. And he said, Lord, would you heal me? Would you make me clean? And the Lord Jesus Christ touched him, and the Bible says Jesus had compassion upon him. Now, if that's not the ultimate contrast, the creator of the universe, the Lord of glory, the virgin-born, perfect son of God. 
the highest one, the one that the angels worship and praise his name. He's standing here, and the lowest of a human social order, a leper, dying physically, perhaps disfigured by the leprosy, and certainly socially ostracized from everyone. Nobody wants to be around him or even touch him. And the Lord of glory, the highest, touches the lowest because the Bible says he had compassion on him. He had compassion on the leper. Mark 1, 40 and 41. In Hebrews 4 and 15, it says, we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Think about that phrase. We don't worship a God who is not touched, moved with the feeling of our infirmities. And when we're sick, he cares. And when we're heartbroken, he cares. And when we're disappointed, he cares. And when we're lacking and poor, he cares. Jesus had compassion not for snail darters particularly, but for human beings. That's who he came for. He saw the people, and he was moved with compassion. He gave us a parable about that, and the parable was specifically addressed to religious people, people like you and me. And the parable's in the book of Luke, chapter 10, and the parable deals with a man we call the Good Samaritan, The Samaritan, a member of another race, a Samaritan looked down upon in polite Jewish society because he was a, quote, half-breed. And the Samaritan has been robbed, or, or a man has been robbed, and the good Samaritan comes along. The mixed race man comes by. But preceding his coming by and helping the man lying there in the road, who's been robbed and beaten and is at the, perhaps at the point of death. Preceding the coming of the good Samaritan, we have a priest comes by. Uh-oh, not just anybody coming by, a priest. A religious man, a leader in a church. And he passes by on the other side. I'm busy. I have an appointment. I'm very, very busy. i got to get up there to the synagogue and to the temple. I have work to do. And he passes by on the other side. And then comes along a Levite, not a member of the clergy, but a member of the church, if you will, another religious person. He could have been a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Methodist or whatever if he lived in our day. He's a church member. He professes to believe in the God of heaven and to be a follower of him. And he sees this man lying in the road, and he too goes by on the other side. I have pressing business. I I can't be inconvenienced by this person's need. And then along comes this Samaritan, this guy of mixed race, this guy who in a Jewish social gathering of that day, probably wouldn't have anybody even pay any attention to him. If they did at all, it would be perfunctory and they'd pass on. They didn't even want to be seen with him. 
But he stops. And the Bible says he had compassion on him. Compassion. And he binds up his wounds. And he puts him on his own little donkey or whatever. He takes him to a hotel. He says, put it on my account. I'll pay the bill. But put him in bed and let him rest and let him recover. Compassion. Compassion. Do you know compassion is the quality that separates the Judeo-Christian religion from all other religions in the world. I have been to a big, big ancient Buddhist temple. Thousands of people milling around, going in and out. What struck me was how many beggars were lying on the steps in front of the temple. And we don't have beggars in South Carolina. But you go outside the United States, you'll see beggars everywhere. You go to Latin America... To walk in a church, you have to go by a number of beggars. And in the country I was in, in China, there was this huge, ancient Buddhist temple. And we visited, and thousands and thousands of people were coming and going. The complex was as big as our complex. You could walk around in there, spend quite a lot of time. But going in the door and coming out, I watched some of the most handicapped some of the most pitiful people I've ever seen in the world. I saw a man with no legs and no arms, and he's lying on a thing like a mechanic lays on to push himself around on the floor of a garage. And this man is trying to push himself around with his stubs. And people are walking by him, virtually walking over him. You couldn't see him. I saw another man that didn't have any legs, nothing from his hip down, and he's walking on his hands like this, balancing himself just the stub of his body hanging in the air. And nobody stopped, nobody helped. People almost tripping over him. No compassion, no compassion. I'm very critical of a welfare system that is so unfair and gives to people who are undeserving and takes from people who are having a hard time in many cases, and most Americans are, On the other hand, I praise God that we live in a society that has a heart for people, that even when it's misused, even when people abuse it, do you know where the whole idea of helping people came from? It came from the Bible. It came from our religion. God, help us if we ever get to where we can walk over people who are in such pitiful condition and not care about them because the government system may be broken or something. But no, we can never get away from our God as a God of compassion. Our Lord Jesus is a Savior of compassion, and his people must be people of compassion as well. In fact, I want you to look at the book of Jude. The last little book before Revelation, there's a phrase there that is as powerful a phrase as I think you'll find anywhere in the Bible. Jude, just one chapter, so there's no chapter, just chapter one, I guess. Jude chapter one and verse number 22, and it says in my Bible, and of some have compassion making a difference. Compassion is what makes the difference so often. On some have compassion, and compassion makes the difference. We 
have it so good in our world. Even when we think we're having a hard time, we're so much better off than we think we are because we don't have anything to compare it to. And today, you and I sit here, and I don't think anybody in here is hungry. If you are, you let me know. We'll feed you. Nobody here is going around naked in ragged clothing like they do in some places in the world. We're all blessed. And almost everybody here is going to go to a comfortable home. It may not be the Taj Mahal, but it's dry, it's warm, it's even cooled. Do you know 99% of the people now have a television or two or three or a flat screen? And I'll tell you what, people that don't have anything else in the world have a cell phone. And so in our world today, we, we're not in tune with real need and human suffering and people that are pitiful. And we get jaded and we get indifferent and we become apathetic. And the Bible says compassion is what makes the difference. Compassion makes a big difference. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse number 15. Ezekiel's the prophet of God. And the people are carried away into the Babylonian captivity. And the Lord takes Ezekiel and gives him a view of the city of Jerusalem. And he sits over there and he looks, pardon me, not the city of Jerusalem, the city of Babylon. And, and he's in Babylon and he sees all these Jewish immigrants, captives, strangers, aliens, Pouring into the city, they're going to live here for the next 70 years. They're going to be captives. They're going to be slaves for the next 70 years. And the prophet of God sits over here on the hill looking at them. And in Ezekiel 3 and 15, he said, I sat where they sat. That's compassion. I empathized with them. I sat over there and I looked at those people and my heart broke for them. I know what they're going to be going through. And the God of compassion has laid in my heart compassion. And I sat where they sat. I understand how they feel. The ability to empathize. Or like that great, great theologian, Bill Clinton said, I feel their pain. It's exactly what Ezekiel was saying. Whatever you may think of Bill Clinton, he understood something about leadership and people. He understood that people want somebody who feels their pain, somebody who understands them, who hurts, and who understands when they hurt and how they hurt. And God help us that we not be the Levite and the priest who can go up the road of humanity on this journey of life and see someone lying there beaten and broken and wandering and hurting, and we never even have time to mess with them. We skirt around them. We're too busy with our own self-focus to care about the people that are around us. We all yearn. We all yearn. I don't care who you are, rich or poor, old or young. We all yearn for someone. We yearn for compassion to be shown to us. We all yearn for someone to show compassion to us. The hardest among us yearns for that. Somebody to understand. 
There's an old song from my boyhood, a gospel song. Someone to care. Someone to share. All your burdens like no other can do. He'll come down from the skies and wipe the tears from your eyes. You're his child, and he cares for you. That's our God. That's our Savior. And that's the kind of preacher I want to be, and that's the kind of Christian God wants you to be today. He wants you to desire to become and be a person of compassion to care about other people because compassion makes the difference. The one thing I remember about my mother, and she's been gone now for a long time. I loved my daddy. I respected my daddy. He came here and worked with me for 20 years plus after he retired from his church in another town. He served with me, and I loved him. But you know, when the chips were all down, I didn't go to daddy. I went to mom. She was the one with the compassion. Why why are most boys closer to their moms than they are their dads? Because the most hardened warrior in this room yearns for compassion. And I can still feel her hand on my head. I can still feel her put her hand on my shoulder and say, you're my preacher boy. I'm so proud of you. And don't you ever quit preaching the Bible. Compassion, we yearn for it. Do you want to go to a doctor who has no compassion? A medical mechanic? Do you want a school teacher for your kids who has no feeling, no empathy, no concern, no heart for your little old Johnny or Mary? No. You would rather they have compassion than 10 college degrees. We yearn for compassion. Our God is a God of compassion. Our Savior is a Savior of compassion. Do you want a pastor that has no compassion but is a great theologian? I don't think anybody here much cares about my theological grasp of things. It's cool today to tell jokes. It's cool to be sarcastic in the pulpit. But when you're up there at McLeod Hospital over here at Carolinas and the chips are down, you don't want me, you don't care about how many jokes I told or how sarcastic or cool or hip or edgy I am. You want somebody that cares. You want somebody that cares. Don't you think your family members want somebody that cares? Don't you think today that your neighbors would be impressed by somebody who cares? Compassion makes a difference. Makes a difference in a church. George Truett was the pastor for over 50 years of First Baptist Church in Dallas. One of the most godly men who ever stepped on Texas soil, I guess. 
And he said this in a sermon on the topic I'm preaching today. I quote Dr. Truett, the supreme indictment that can be brought against a church is that it lacks in passion and compassion for human souls. A church is nothing better than an ethical or social club if, if its sympathies for lost souls does not overflow and if it does not go out and seek to point lost souls to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The church must have compassion. Now, this morning, go back with me, if you will, to the cross. We sung about it. I had you sing that song again because I knew I was going to talk about this. Go back with me to the cross. And in your mind's eye, in your mind, in your imagination, I want you to picture the Lord Jesus Christ hanging there for you. And in your imagination, I want you to listen and hear the cursing of the crowd and the mob. I want you to look and see the blood as it runs down over his face from the crown and from his hands and from his feet. I want you to sense the heat and the suffering and the pain. I want you to hear as they drop that cross into the hole prepared in the ground for it with a thud and the groan from the throat of our Lord Jesus Christ as those nails tear at his flesh. Why is he there? He's not being held to that cross by those nails. He's held to that cross by compassion. Why does he stay there? Does he stay there because he's nailed and tied? Or because there's a Roman garrison around him guarding him? No, that would have meant nothing. He could have, he could have moved through that. He stayed there because of compassion. He knew that if he didn't stay there, you and I would be lost. That the only hope that you and I had was for him to pay your sin bill so that he would, you would not have to pay it for yourself. And love held him to the cross. Compassion. Compassion makes a difference. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.